we are we're a hospital, right? I've, I've been thinking it's funny how the Lord, you know, puts something on your heart and then, you know, ready to be used. We're a hospital. Um, we're soldiers. We are we're called not to be a club, but a church. And um, sometimes I think we can get kind of soft. Um, this will hopefully galvanize Alfred Allman Bible Church. I, I would hope that this would be a, a huge blessing in, in the end. Um, so, but as far as the text, I'm debating. <laughs> uh, Nehemiah chapter 2, if you're there, because you already thought you'd be there. Look at verse 19. Now, we're going to be in chapter 3. Actually, we're only going to be here for a moment. I, I think we're going to venture down a different path. I remember when 9 happened, 9 I just preached the next message. I didn't even reference, I don't think, the Twin Towers. I've since, I think, maybe got a little wiser and said, you know what, maybe at certain points you have to stop and maybe think about some things, you know, and not just try to plow ahead. <laughs> but it is interesting, in chapter 2, verse uh, 19, it says, now again, Nehemiah has come, he has come the distance of uh, two months travel from Susa, at least two months, up to four months, depending on the route he took. He got there three days later. For three days, he just uh, stopped and uh, rested and I'm sure prayed and planned. And then he went out and looked at the wall, um, verse 12. So I rose in the night and a few men with me and I told no one what my God had put into my heart. And he basically went through half of the wall counterclockwise and then he came back and told the people what he was going to do. Now, now think about this. He was on the, uh, the beginning point of getting the walls finished. And what do you end up having but verse 19, but when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Gershom the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and they despised us and said, what is this thing that you're doing Are you rebelling against the king? And then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will rise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. And um, what you find there is the fact that, look at chapter 3, verse 1. Then Elisha the high priest rose up with his brothers the priests and they built the sheep gate. <laughs> the work of God went forward. By the way, because this was such a monumental feat, 52 days built the wall, you might think, well, they must have not had much more, much uh, problems. They didn't have many problems. They, they probably had an easy road. That's why they... All right, so you see the first problem... Heavy criticism. Chapter 4, opposition again. Not only opposition, but it says, verse 1, they were angry and greatly enraged and jeered at the Jews. What are these feeble Jews doing? And we're going to look at that in a couple weeks. Major opposition in chapter 4. External. Major opposition, chapter 5, internal. Internal being that the Jews, the wealthy Jews, were... We're charging usury uh, uh, interest to their brethren, literally making them have to sell their property, even themselves. Chapter 6, major opposition, Sanbal and Tobiah. I find it interesting that three chapters and four different times 
just in these first seven chapters, you see major opposition to God's work. Don't ever think that if you see opposition, that somehow it's always that the church is doing something wrong, or the pastor, or whatever. By the way, Sanballat and Tobiah were ungodly, evil men. In this scenario, I do not want to at all paint that. I love Joanne, I love Diane, and Brantley, okay? And by the way, I'm just going to move from, I don't want to keep talking about that, because like I said, it, it will be known to the elders. But, but you know, I, 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 as soon as I heard it, I'm thinking, okay, do I really want to, uh, it's, it's a four-page extended on how to do a project. Is that really appropriate here? Well, let's just look at something simpler. And uh, it's how to receive criticism. Okay, it's a message I preached six years ago, thereabouts. You probably won't remember it. <laughs> to be honest with you, I had to read it because I didn't remember it. <laughs> but, and I'm not going to hit the whole message even. Maybe just a few points. But how do you receive criticism? You know, I think this is an important thing. Right? Um, if you wanted to look it up, there's actually a really good article in the, uh, the uh, Journal for Biblical Counseling, uh, Volume 17. You could... But if you ever want the whole article, I actually got a lot of this message from that article and then I build on my own. But the point is, is uh, the title of the article is The Cross and Criticism. I love that. Because you know, what's, you, know what is, you, you know what is the most critical thing that's ever been in your life is the cross of Christ? Think about that. What does the cross say? You are unworthy. You are damned. There's nothing you can do, but I did it all. Right? So, whatever a person will criticize you for, me, I mean, is is immaterial because the cross says you cannot earn salvation. It is a free gift that's received through a faith, right? By faith. It's just because of the grace of God God showed His grace to us as sinners, as enemies, and He sent His Son, the second person of the Trinity, the God-man, to die and to be the propitiation, the acceptable sacrifice, the substitute for us. And every time I think of the cross, I'm being criticized. (laughs) You were that, but now I'm also encouraged because now you're this. You stand in my righteousness. The cross and criticism. He defined uh, criticism this way. Any judgment made about you by another which declares that you fall short of a particular standard. Again, it doesn't say in this general word criticism whether it's a standard by it's God's standard or man's standard. Do you look forward to the day we stand before Jesus Christ? I... I don't know if this is even... But in 1 Corinthians chapter 4... Oh, I love this verse. This is one of my favorite... This is one of my favorite passages as a pastor. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 5. By the way, I don't even have my normal Bible. Because I'm using the New American at the moment... Not New American, ESV. So my actual Bible, the passage should be on this page over here, and it's not. So I've got to find it. 
And it's a different version. I know it in the New King James. But see, this is the passage that talks about that we are stewards of the mystery, verse 1. And it's required and stewards that one be found trustworthy or faithful, verse 2. By the way, that's what drives us as believers, I hope. It's not about this church. This church won't be in heaven. Right? Building and all this. We stand before Jesus, one-on-one, and he evaluates. Question, were you faithful? That's the only question on the table. Everything else falls from that. Were you? Because f- if I'm standing there at the beam, it means I've already received him. But were you faithful? Look at verse 3. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. What is he talking about? Because you know what? We are very deceptive. And we think we can have good motivation. And Paul says, you know what? I know the deceitfulness of my own heart. Verse 4, for I am not aware of anything against myself. I mean, there is no known sin, Paul says, in my life. But I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. And I say amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you. But verse 5 is the, the kicker. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. That's like here. Before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Oh, the motivations. That's where it gets tricky. Because you can have Christian walking through the life and they look really good. They always seem to dot the I and cross the T. But wait a second. By the way, this is the thing. This is the thing with the Christian life. We go through trials for a reason. Do you know that? What does James say? Count all joy when you fall into many trials. What? Knowing that the testing of your faith what produces patience and endurance. And by the way, if you carry through properly, it produces maturity. Right? Not just the endurance part, but the maturity part. So there's a reason for why we go through what we go through. I would hope you see that in your own life, right? I mean, I don't know what things you're going through, but boy, I hope you see that God has a purpose. That's why in Corinthians, you know, when Paul says, when I am weak, then I'm strong, and he, he just got done naming all the things that he goes through in affliction and weakness. Notice that little word in. We've mentioned it many times. I hope you get that. In. God does not take you around. We try to get around because then we can escape. But what are we trying to do? Escape the consequences, but then you escape the results, the maturing process. No, God says, I want to take you through it because through it, you're going to depend on me. Through it, you're going to learn the lessons you're supposed to be learning. Through it, you're going to become more like my son, which Romans 8 says is really to be conformed to the image of his son, right? So thank you, Lord, that verse 5 says that someday we stand before him and he's going to give us the, he's going to reveal, disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. That's, that's the commendation we're looking for. The final judgment. But you say, John, don't you fail a lot? Absolutely. I failed this week in a number of areas. Thank you, Lord, that you at least show me the, the uh, weaknesses of my heart. By the way, I do not walk around like this. Oh, I failed. Oh, I failed. Oh, I failed. <laughs> I failed. No. 
know, I, but the Lord has revealed in my heart many times, you know, pride and arrogance and anger. Sometimes I like to pass a little piece of gossip along. You ever like that? Not really weeping with those who weep. God catches me. Do you really weep with that person? Or are you just kind of, you know, Lord, break my heart a little bit. Show me what they're going through. Because you know what? If I can weep with you, I can pray for you. It's kind of hard to weep, uh, pray for with intensity if I'm not weeping with you. But, you know, but how about rejoicing? Sometimes that's real hard, too. Because maybe my cup, I feel like it's half empty, and yet I'm looking around, and boy, they seem to have everything going for them. By the way, that's a lie. <laughs> we, are all, we are fellow strugglers. But the point is this. God puts us through trials because it's in trials that your heart is revealed. You'll really know what you're living for through trials. God will give you some situation in your life that's very, very difficult. So trials do not create your heart. It reveals your heart. Very, very important that we understand that. So, you know, whatever trials you might be going through, uh, it is revealer. It's a revealer. Oh, I get angry and I gossip. By the way, I used to do that years and years ago. I, I can't tell you how many, and I really repented of this. My wife and I have both. But something would frustrate me at the church, and I'd be going home, you know, and, and then before long, I'm eating a sandwich with her, like blasting, you know, the situation or whatever. And ah, a number of years ago, we just said, you know what? This is a fellow strugglers. Let's... Let's pray for them and let's be patient with each other because they're patient with me. You know? What was that doing? That was revealing my heart. That was revealing my heart at that moment. Before, like, oh, see, that's what's in your heart, John. You're angry. Uh, You're not patient. You're not gentle. You're not kind. Colossians 3, you know? You're not really even humble. Oh, I hate hearing that. Well, criticism kind of, you know, is one of those things. By the way, criticism, it, it may not be a reasonable criticism. It might be done by a friend or an enemy. It might be at the wrong time. It might be with the wrong tone of voice. I mean, there's all, and, and I, you know, went out infinitum and now a lot of different things when I preach this. But the point is this. It comes from a lot of different varied sources. But why is it so hard to take? Why is criticism so hard to take? Well, it's correction, it's rebuke, it's reproof. Um, you know, sometimes it's right, sometimes it's not right. Uh, but we easily want to defend ourselves. Isn't that true? That's why I say I love verse 5. I live by verse 5. I mean, 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Uh, I, I can't tell you how many times I've prayed and thanked and just went down the road and say, Lord, I am so thankful that someday... I stand before you. I personally don't know how any pastor, any elder, any Christian lives their life without knowing that passage. Because Jesus knows. Now, hopefully that is not terrifying to you. Hopefully that is very comforting to you. And I'm not saying this situation or me. I'm saying you. I don't know. Some of you have been maligned and whatever else. Just remember Jesus knows. Isn't that a great thought? I'd love that. He knows now and he'll know then and he'll make all things right. Now, my only thing is this, making sure I walk proper today because I certainly don't want to stand before him someday and find out, sure, something happened, but then you responded wrongly, John. 
You, sh- you should have used my word. You should have. My spirit was right there in you. <laughs> John, don't you understand? I'm just trying to stretch you to be like me. Alfred Norman Bible Church, don't you understand that we've gone through problems to be like Christ? I'll tell you one thing that I've been really... Um, I, I just want to throw this out. I, I want you to think more of a... Um, that we're our soldiers. I want to challenge you to become more committed to the things that we offer at Alfred Allman Bible Church. We have ABF. It's a great class. I looked at the roster, and how many people weren't there? Well, I know some people probably didn't turn their clocks ahead. <laughs> Downstairs, a great class on counseling and understanding the heart, and yet it's so ill-attended. Home groups start, and then they falter because no one wants to really... I mean, not no one... There's a, there's a number of people that are very committed, but you know, I think of all the resources we have that we're offering, and yet it's like pick and choose, and it's like you need to connect. You need to connect not for you to what you learn. You need to connect so that you're with the body because you're one another. That's what Romans 12 says. We are of one another. And, and I'm very concerned that sometimes we can very easily fall into a club mentality. You know, a club, you show up, you check your name off, you know, if you're there, whatever, but, you know, pay your dues. We're not a club. This is life and death. This is eternal values. This is stuff that really matters. And we've put a lot of time, and I know it's been a brutal winter, hasn't it? Cold, dark, sick. (laughs) But we're coming out of that. Isn't it sunny? Isn't that great? I would hope that you might even recommit I would, I would really hope that each person here would at least say, you know what, Sunday morning is important. Not just for me. We corporately worship. It's one anothering. ABF is important. You know, we have a great Sunday school class, and yet some weeks this, this winter, I know we're kind of in a lull. I can see a lot of babies coming up in another while. <laughs> but, you know, it's so sad that we have a great Sunday school class teaching great material on one or two kids in the class. Isn't that sad? I would hope that if you're a parent, you say, you know, it's a priority. But then, that's Sunday morning. That's just those two hours. <laughs> but then, get connected to a men's group or a women's group, prayer group, or a neighborhood home group. I cannot, I've told you this over and over again. It's not to say that on Wednesday night, I don't say, oh, I got a home group. They're coming over to my house, so we got, I got to be there. <laughs> Plus, I'm the leader. <laughs> I, every time. Every time I am with people that are God's people, you know what happens? I'm encouraged. I don't think I can ever say there was a time that I didn't walk away encouraged. Why? Because that's how it's... Well, that's because you have a good teacher. No, because I'm the teacher. I'm not saying that. No, no. There's the dynamic of the body ministry. God designed it that way. You need each other. And it's only Christians who really... I mean, it's sad when a Christian doesn't understand. I need you. I need the interaction. I'll tell you what. When I, this is how I need people. I left right after the little thing where you were singing. I had Ken come out there. I'm, I, I, I said, why are you here? I want to pray with you. Lee, I want to pray with you. Well, actually, I just had someone pray with me, and I had to get back in here. Brent, see, that's what I'm talking about, body ministry. But if you're not around the body, you don't know what they need. I think of small group. I need them. I need them. It's not just about a little devotional. Um, No, we need each other. I really hope as we come into this spring season that you will put your hand to the plow and recommit if you haven't already. I need the body of believers. If I'm really going to grow, I need each other. We're interdependent. That's what 1 Corinthians 12 talks about. 
And so we go joyfully to other... I mean, I'll tell you, in the other group that I have just phenomenally enjoyed is the men's prayer group. Dale Vance's. And once in a while I eat a donut. Usually I eat a half of one. Dale always razzes me for that. And I always eat the other half too. (laughs) Dale is too honest. Dale, isn't that one of the best times of your week? Men's prayer. It's just unbelievable. So if you're a man, I would encourage you to come. Yesterday we got into a discussion. It was phenomenal. Usually go over, no, no, I, I don't go over the time frame, but, it, you know, like you're always, just talk, 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 you know. Start at 7.30, end at 9. Oh, by the way, one in Alfred, start at 7.30, end at 9. But then we're going to add another one. Billy wants to start at 9 and end at 10.30 on Saturday. <laughs> Wait, I didn't hear it. What is it? That's better. See, I told Billy, there is no guy that's going to show up at 9 o'clock. A third of the day is already... All right, I'm wrong. (laughs) Yeah, Billy's like this. All right, let me just close. Yes, I did say the word close, but for a pastor, that doesn't mean anything. Um, (laughs) We want to make sure that this is the key. When you are approached ever... God resists the and gives grace to the humble. So 1 Peter is the one, you know. Let's make sure that there's always humility in the process. And and make sure that you put it in the context. Lord, you died on the cross for my sins that I would have had to pay for eternally. You know? You go to Matthew 18, and it's like the servant that's forgiven the massive debt, and then the servant that's forgiven a little bit. Don't uh, don't all do you know? Don't up the scale of how we're hurt. That's God would say, "Come on, a little thing like that, you're going to make a big deal out of." That's I would hope uh, uh, how we all approach you know different things that happen in our life. Let me end with this: the willingness to receive criticism is a mark of the wise. And if you want to take a couple notes, it is a mark of the wise. It says the way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but, the, but he who heeds counsel is wise. Actually, that's why the elders and I are going to meet right after the service in room, my office, I guess that's warm. Um, you can give me your counsel. I'm really looking for your counsel. It's not just going to be a statement. It's going to be a question. But anyways, do you see the comparison? A, a foolish person doesn't want to know. But a wise person, and I would hope that we're all wise. Don't ever shut down conversation. I always say this, time and truth will always play out, won't it? Give truth enough time and it will play out. First major point, the wise man recognizes his own failures and shortcomings. You know, Romans... Uh, you know, you got to put Romans 7. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for putting in Romans 7. Verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who, shall, who will deliver me from the body of death? I don't know if you know the story of Spurgeon, but 
He led numerous ministries. I mean, the guy was just phenomenal. But it is interesting that at the end of his ministry, if I'm correct on this, I, I, I heard a, a message, a, a biography by John Piper. I think it was the number was a third. A third of the times that he was supposed to preach at his church, he was so sick he couldn't preach in the latter part of his ministry. He, he was a very sickly man. He was very depressed. He had gout, a number of things. But I bring all that up to say this. He had huge criticism. He had what they called the downgrade uh, controversy. And that's where the Baptist Union went against Charles Spurgeon on some very key fundamental issues. And because his trusted friends at one time in the Baptist Union was after him, it, it just hurt him deeply. I mean, the knife went in very deep. But he always said this. Even, even to my greatest adversary, the one that brought up the most criticism, he said, I'm sure there's still, a, like as it were, a piece of meat that I can still take from the conversation. And I thought, that's really cool. He said, no matter who it is saying, I can still evaluate my life and maybe get something that I need to grow as a Christian. That's how we should always be. So, we only can do that because we look at ourselves as old wretched man. By the way, when Paul said that in Romans 7.24, he's not saying, oh, wretched man, that I, I am. Oh, Paul, come on, you just, you know, that's just false humility. No, I think at that point, if you were standing in front of Paul and you said, oh, that's just false humility, he probably would have slapped you. <laughs> no, I am. This is Holy Scripture. There's still things that we are all needing to change and grow. So, again, we, won't, we don't want to get critical. We don't want to get mean. We don't want to get harsh. By the way, you know, it is funny how, isn't it human nature to want to be critical? Some people, I think, is, they think it's a spiritual gift. See, when I say that we should recognize our own failures and shortcomings, I'm understanding also there are some people that may read that immediately and say, oh, oh you wanted criticism? I like the story. <clears throat> Two taxidermists stop before a window. Now, taxidermists, you know, they stuff things. Stop before a window in which an owl was on display. They immediately began to criticize the way it was mounted. Its eyes were not natural, its wings were not in proportion with its head, its feathers were not neatly arranged, its feet could be improved upon. When they had finished their criticism, the old owl turned his head and winked at them. <laughs> yeah. So in saying that the wise man recognizes his own failures and shortcomings, it doesn't mean that everyone else has to. Number two, a wise man avoids quarreling and strife. See, these are just three characteristics of a wise man. He knows where he stands, O wretched man that I am, but he also understands that he needs to avoid quarreling and strife. Proverbs 13.10. Now catch the first, second word. By pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well-advised is wisdom. So pride breeds contention. 
It's interesting that that passage in James and Peter is also found in Proverbs 17, verse 14. God resists the proud, which means it's in the Old Testament and the New. It's a repeated thing. It's a hard prayer, but I've prayed it. I trust that you have too. Lord, make me humble. (laughs) What you're really saying is, Lord, break me. And he has over the years. I wish I could just really just lay it out. Just, just for your own edification in the sense of, boy, aren't we all broken over and over again? But see, in the process of being broken, we don't want to quarrel and, you know, God uses people, but we, no, 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 we, we're not into quarreling and strifing. <laughs> strifing, that's not the right word. Quarreling and strife. Um, it says the beginning of strife is like releasing water. Again, this is Proverbs 17, 14. Um, the beginning of strife is like releasing water. Therefore, stop contention before a quarrel starts. You ever release water like out of a dam? Like that's why they have you know the almond dam and it's so high because you never want to see the water go over. Because then what does it start doing? It starts cutting the path, right? You got to hold it back. You got to always hold it back. And you know, words are like toothpaste. Once they're out, they're hard to get back in the tube. So you gotta. You got to be careful. So, on the one hand, is the person who wisely receives counsel and uses his energy to listen and to learn and to change, and maybe just to take that one piece of meat off of the. But on the other hand, is the person who, because of pride, pours his time and energy into quarreling and being defensive and fighting and pouting and protecting and promoting himself. Gee, I wonder which one we're supposed to have. Nah, you just. You know what you just say is, you know what, Lord, I love you. I, I have been so blessed by my grandfather of recent. You know, my gram died, and I really thought, I really thought that when I was going to talk to him next time, he was going to talk about like death. I can't live without her. I'm. He said this last time. He said, Johnny, I. That was so hard four or five years ago when it was finally diagnosed. Then and then. You know, I mean, I know the whole story and going in the nursing home and having to literally lose his life savings pretty much. And there, but, he, but he said it this way. But you know, I can see how God is like working in my life and building certain things into my life. You know, that was the gist of the whole thing. You know, the whole... And I thought, wow. You know, I just never looked at my grandfather, to be honest with you, as that spiritual. But of the last year... I keep seeing how he just depends on Jesus. It's like, wow. And yet he has gone through a very, 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 very hard time. Um, I don't even know why I want to tell you that, but you know, it's just how you deal with life. You can, or you can say, Lord, you gave it. So a wise man avoids quarreling and strife, and then finally, the wise man listens quickly and carefully. Quickly and carefully. Proverbs 17, verse 10. Rebuke is more effective for a wise man than a hundred blows on a fool. (laughs) Again, a rebuke. Just a rebuke. Just a verbal. More effective than... You could could beat on a fool's back a hundred blows and they wouldn't get as much as just listening. I wonder how good good you are at listening. How, how, How well do you listen? 
See, the reason I'm doing this is not for the situation that I referred to earlier, but it's because, are we wise? Do you see your shortcomings? Do you avoid quarreling? And are you quick to listen? Again, a rebuke is more effective. It goes deeper than a hundred blows on the back of a fool. Booker T. Washington said, if, you, if you're a Christian, you can expect folks to criticize, but you ought to live so nobody will believe them. Ah, uh, that's the point. It's not that stuff won't be thrown, just make sure nothing sticks. That's again why I said we're going to talk, and, and I would encourage you, you know, if you have any question, you just talk to an elder, not of what, but say, did his integrity hold Because again, integrity and how we receive each other, and just by the way, how we want to uh, walk with each other is very, very important. So the ability to take advice, correction, rebuke is not only considered a mark of the wise, and the inability to do the same is really a mark of the fool. So we want to be wise. We want to be wise. Let let me just uh, close in Matthew 18. No, I won't even close. I've already given you the story. And to be honest with you, I got my new Bible, so I can't even, I'd have a hard time looking at all the passages. But just to remember this one thing. You just remember that one thing that says, if your brother has anything against you, go to your brother. I mean, no, if you have anything against your brother, go to your brother. He tells them the story. The king, innumerable debt, servant says, please, you know, I will repay you. No, I'm just going to forgive you. Same guy, goes out into the crowd, someone that owed him, what, 100 denarii? Small amount compared to the innumerable. What does he do? What does he do to him? You need to pay. If you don't, I'm going to throw you in debtor's prison. How wicked and lazy to be like that. Talking about the guy. How, how dare you? How dare you treat your brother? One finds himself in the same situation. So, no matter who you are and what the situation, if it's, a, if, if it's another Christian, that the, the, you make sure you show a lot of grace. Right? Because he's watching. And if you can't forgive your brothers and sisters, your Heavenly Father is not going to put you on a relation, relational forgiveness either. That's what Matthew 6 says. Right? Right? Is that what it says? I will read that last, that verse I will read. Oh, come on, John, you're still done. Come on, be done, be done. I find this so hard with this Bible. For if you forgive others their trespasses, he's really talking the relational thing. Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. That's the relational. He's not talking justification. He's saying, listen, if you're a Christian right here and you have something against another brother and you are holding that against them and they have really tried to reconcile and you will not understand you are not walking with God at this moment. Because that's what he says at the next thing. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You will not have uh, family fellowship with God at this moment is critical. And God will test us in areas. And, and I just trust that you end up being very, very gracious, very humble, and just says, you know, based on everything that the Lord Jesus Christ did for me and for you, man, we should be the most patient people on this earth that ever lived, right? Ever lived. 
because of all. And just think, we're only here for another few years. And then we're going to be able to be with him and, he stand, and we stand before him and every truth will be made known exactly right. Come into the joy of your Lord. Let's sit at the great feast and enjoy eternity together. And even then you'll have opportunity to serve him because isn't it a joy to serve the Lord? Amen, amen. So I guess the Lord had different plans than I had thought yesterday as far as what the service was going to hold. Let's stand and should we worship? We shouldn't worship? Can anyone lead us in an acapella of something? I want to worship. I don't even sing well, but I want to worship the Lord. What? Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. I think we'll be done with that. <laughs> the key is, give us the Lord, right? And I know you'll say, never sing that again, John, by yourself. <laughs> Thank you for leading us. Let's bow for prayer. <laughs> Lord, we love you. We love you so much. And I pray that each one of us could say that from a true heart. And yet we realize that if uh, we have anything against our brother and we haven't forgiven, that really is not a true statement. So Lord, I pray that there would be reconciliation among Christians at this point, if there needs to be. Father, may we be in in a wartime mentality. We are soldiers. Soldiers don't have it easy, but they know that there's a day of rest coming. And yet it's not on this earth. Father, help us to be vigilant. We know the Satan and the roaring lion, as a roaring lion would want to devour us. So I just pray that you would protect us as individuals. I pray that you protect us as a body of believers. I thank you for the many gifts and abilities and blessings we have here. Father, I also pray for anyone here that may never have truly received the Lord Jesus Christ. May they understand their need that it's not works that saves them but it's total trust and complete reliance on the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And that they personally would receive you as their Lord and Savior right now. Uh, Father, again, I thank you for this morning. It's, it's been tough, but Lord, we've learned a lot of things. We've been challenged. And now I pray that you would give wisdom to the elders. Lord, wisdom, not, not to think it my way or their way, but that would, we would all think it your way. That it would be uh, completely done according to Scripture if anything has to be changed. That you would give us wisdom and guidance and the boldness to, to do what's right. We just ask for your wisdom now in Christ's name. Amen. You are dismissed.